0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Nikki.
1: Hello, Pete Wright. How are you?
0: Fat and happy, Nikki Kinzer.
1: Are you? (laughs) That's what happens after Thanksgiving.
0: I. It was. It was a horror show at my dinner plate. It was. (laughs) It was it was a disaster uh, that I just I adored every minute of it, and uh, it was great to, uh, uh, but to you know we did a lot of really fun little giving thanks things uh, this year, and uh, it was very rewarding. And the kids didn't fight, and everybody contributed. And you know what more do you have to ask for? I know.
1: I was so pleased because um, you know I have I have teenagers in the house, and my sixteen year old even played games with us. I was like right on. You can't get a better wow. Thanksgiving than, you know, when your 16-year-old wants to play. That
0: is the truth, <laughs> Kinzer. I am, I am very excited about that. You know, I, it is timely that we would come out of our Thanksgiving holiday. You know, as we're as we're doing this, uh, recording this show, you know, as, as people listen to this show, it's going to be a week later. So it sounds like we're just really late on talking about Thanksgiving. Right. But really, yeah, it just I happened, I promise. Uh, coming out of the holiday weekend to talk about something that I say around my house and have said on this podcast. Uh, I can't even think how many times I've said this That it, we're, we're talking about reading the room We're talking about social skills uh, And we know they're a struggle for ADDers and We have a fantastic guest on the show To talk with us about the wizardry that is managing communication skills. But before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list right there on the front page. And we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. You can always connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And, uh, it, you know, if you've ever been touched by anything that we've done, uh, you can support us. You can send us your cash. Send us your cash. That's what don't <laughs> that send us. Your cash. So great, please, please don't Just... send us your cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can visit patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. And that is uh it is a way to um to show your appreciation for the work that we've done over the last oh, seven years, many years, uh many on years. this show. Uh, eight the resources years. that Nikki has been creating. Eight years. Eight, eight years cancer. Uh, and, uh, you can give us a few dollars and in exchange for your few dollars, uh, you get access to all kinds of new stuff. And so we have a fantastic discord chat server that sort of serves as the hub. Uh, and, uh, once you sign into Patreon, you can uh, get access to many of the channels, including the ADHD book club that has been spearheaded by the community, which is. Fantastic! Uh, uh, We've had uh, watch parties, watching uh, uh, ADHD speakers uh, together. Uh, It's been just really great. There's so much creativity and support, and um, I have to say, uh, we had one of our community members lose their hard drive uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday in the midst of working on a uh, some work, and I just, oh dear. Uh I have a history of losing massive amounts of my technology, my data. So I just my heart absolutely bleeds. But the community uh is is there to to help and support. And that's the, the kind of thing that we do there is, is help each other talk through strategies and things like that. So it it's just a great place. Patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. Thank you so much for helping us continue to grow and do new things. Old business, we are taking questions for our listener Q&A episode coming up at the end of the year. I can't believe it's the end of the year. Uh, So that should be good. How are people getting us their questions, Nikki Kinzer? Uh,
1: They are actually going to be emailing them to my assistant. So they're they're going to go to Monica at TakeControlADHD.com, and she is going to be collecting them for us. And then you and I, Pete, are going to be answering them.
0: Outstanding. (laughs) My favorite thing to do uh, is answer it's questions Yes, so, But podcast. we want as many right.
1: questions as possible. So yes. send those in um, soon, sooner than later.
0: When is the, is there, do we have a date? Is it just soon?
1: I knew you were going to ask me that. I and know. that's why I said sooner than later than actually give a date. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the deadline actually is December 7th because we're going to be recording on the 10th.
0: Yes. So, um, okay.
1: yes, if we can get those by th- Friday, December 7th, that would be great.
0: We can certainly do that. All right. Friday, December 7th. Thank you, everybody, in advance for submitting questions for the Q&A episode. And you know what? You can even you, it doesn't have to be necessarily even a question, right? I mean, you could send us thoughts or wishes or hopes or strategies. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Uh, OK, on to the main business. Very excited about the main business. Uh, Caroline McGuire is a coach author, teacher, and speaker with a special focus in social skills supporting kids and parents of kids with ADHD. She's here today to talk with us all about reading between the lines and the challenges that ADHDers face when it comes to understanding the unspoken complexities of social interaction. Carolyn McGuire, welcome to the ADHD podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Nikki is someone who I shared one webinar with and I got to chat with her at the... uh, international conference. And so I was really excited to, to come talk about this. And also just because I think that we need to as a community talk about this more, um, which is social skills and the, the things that challenge some people with ADHD and also get more information out there because there's sort of a thin, thin level of information out there.
1: Definitely something that we need to t- need to talk about because there is not a lot of information. And I'll tell you, Caroline, you had gotten some rave reviews on your session last year when you were talking about this um, with adults. You were talking—I think it was like reading the room—or yep. I don't remember what the session was called. But um, I had a couple different people tell me that that was one of the best ones that they saw. Um, that they loved it. It was something that they uh, really got a lot out of. So. I would love to start the conversation if you could just maybe begin with telling us what that means. What does it mean to read between the lines or to to read the room? Are those the same things or are those two different things? That's a really good question. So I think they're two different things. So
2: I'm going to start with reading the room and then I'll go over reading between the lines. So reading the room is really, by that we mean scanning any situation. So it could be a physical room, but it can also be a situation where you you know, walk in on two people with their heads together, and then interpreting the social cues and nonverbal signals that are going on, and then making decisions about what is expected, what do I need to do in this situation? What are the actions that I need to take or not take, which is a difficult thing for our people. And then what is it that I'm noticing in terms of energy, Emotions and all of those nonverbal communication aspects that often, if you don't pause to pay attention, kind of elude you. And also, I just want to take the opportunity to say that there are, there's a myth out there that people with ADD just don't pause. That's not true. A huge percentage of people with ADD actually struggle with those nonverbal cues and they don't interpret them easily. And I think that's important to talk about. Um, and that bridges into reading between the lines. Reading between the lines is really when you hear someone make a comment, listening to their tone of voice, the context, and understanding that there's sort of what we say and what we mean. And they're, they're different sometimes. So if I say something in a snarky tone, that might change the meaning. Um, versus if I say it in a happy or, you know, or, a, you know, affectionate tone. Um, and so, um, you know, when when Pete started the call, he said something about his Thanksgiving plate, <laughs> and all the madness that went on. And I knew from his <laughs> tone and from the context that he was making a joke. Um, but if you struggle with pausing and listening to what people say, and then what they mean. Um, it can be a very difficult thing.
1: So what makes that difficult for ADDers that you found?
2: We have to remember, and I hate the word comorbidity, but there is an overlap between ADD and other coexisting conditions. So we have to remember that a certain percentage of people with ADD also have some kind of social processing challenge. Um, And what I mean by that is if someone struggles to, Interpret nonverbal information, sort of body language, tone, um, the little facial expressions and nuances. um, That might be the reason. The other reason might be that you just don't pay attention. This is more the do you pause? Do you listen? Did you really hear? Um, Did you notice that facial expression? Or were you so in your own uh, place ruminating about something, thinking about something else that you didn't even notice what that person had across their face? And then the other thing is um, a huge thing that informs everything we do and what we're expected to do socially is context. Well, if you don't really pay attention to stuff or you don't have a history of paying attention and thinking about information from the past, what you know about the person, you tend not to pick up those situational contexts, who the person is. And what they're all about. And that makes the whole reading between the lines thing really difficult because you're not really thinking about, okay, I know who Nikki is. I know what's important to her. I have this past history with her and I'm bringing that in as I listen to her comments. It's, it's actually a, a big process. If you think about it, and it's all driven, by the way, by executive functions, the management system in the brain. So just like our attention is driven by that. So it's, it's like everything. It's a building block. And in many cases, people either struggle with those nonverbal cues I talked about, or they're just flying so fast or not tuned in enough and they just don't notice.
0: Well, I feel like I may be I may be jumping the jumping the gun a little bit because I, I you know, I, I definitely know that experience. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm interested in both your perspective on coaching others. And, you know, I know you have deep experience in helping parents coach kids who have this, uh, who are struggling with this sort of behavior, Uh, but also in kind of self-coaching, you know, because I I have found in the past that part of the reason that, you know, if I look at, at my own interaction in group situations, if I'm listening to somebody who's, you know, giving a speech or something, part of my challenge is that I'm moving too fast for, like I've already attempted to interpret what they've said or I already have just <laughs> enough information to to be able to make my own sort of assumptions and assertions. And so I've moved on to a question that feels like it's out of left field. So I'll end up, you know, if I don't have that skill to kind of, you know, w- block that, to to kind of put up a roadblock and say, wait a minute, stop, stop for a second, read the room. You know, I need I need to really make an assessment of how to do this. Now, my learning uh, of, of how to, to sort of coach myself with that has been by fire, right? It's over years <laughs> of being in meetings and sticking my foot in my mouth uh, because I wasn't able to do this. And so it has taken, a, I think, way too much work for me to learn this this sort of skill for myself. So I, I, I definitely want to get into at some point that sort of like, how can you be more gentle with yourself <laughs> and and learn these skills?
2: Well, actually, I don't think it is too soon because part of this is is actually a great question. Um with little but only
0: only part, the other part <laughs> no, is.
2: but um with little kids, you know, I set missions, and I'll say to them, "You have a mission, one thing I want you to work on, right? And we can do the same things with ourselves, coaching ourselves. So, for instance, what you described in your trial by fire, is really also about active listening, right? Something we do with ADD that's just you know only germane to us. We have this unique gift for it. Is you start talking, I start formulating what I'm going to say. I'm not really listening to you anymore, and now I jump in, I interrupt you, yep. or whatever is what you describe. If you went to a party, right? We're about to be upon the holidays. The holidays are kind of a social, you know, maelstrom for all of us, right? If you go to a party with the intention that the thing you're going to work on, right? Not all the other things you decide are are going on. Just this one thing is to listen until someone gets to the end of their sentence before you jump in. You're paying attention to it and it will get better, right? So you can coach yourself on it. The hardest part, Pete, that you you are so aware of is, you're not holding yourself accountable for all the other stuff that happens, right? So you if you're successful with that mission, then you congratulate yourself on wow, my active listening, my ability to have that reciprocal conversation improved. If you did other things, quote, wrong, it doesn't matter, right? And that's the hard part, we hold ourselves accountable. And we judge on Oh, but I did this. Oh, I used the wrong bathroom. I was supposed to just stick to the first floor. I went and found one on the second floor. Like my clients, I ate too much. I ate too much. I drank too much. (laughs) And I'm like, well, wait, what was your mission? Well, my mission was that I was going to more actively listen and, and, you know, just hear them before I jump in. Okay. Did you do that? Yes. Awesome. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's to- that it's. I like the way you put that, especially because there. Are, it 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 sounds like, and catch me if I start lying here. It sounds like there are two steps to that. The first is you have your your first job. If you're not if if you, this is a skill that you're working on, your first job is just to get to wait for them to get to the end of the sentence, right? And it doesn't necessarily imply that you have to pay so much attention to what they're saying. <laughs> And <laughs> Just just get the rhythm of the conversation down, and you'll get better from there, right? I mean, is, am I making stuff up?
2: No, you're not making stuff up. And the other tip I would give is, you know, as coaches, we're taught to do this. And to, to, for me, socially, this was actually a huge thing. When we learn to coach, we learn to let the person get to the end of the sentence. And then we often, we reflect, we recap to them what they said, right? Yeah. The other thing you can do is if you really struggle to stay tuned in while the other person is talking, and then, okay, I let them get to the end of the sentence, but then it was still an epic disaster, Mm -hmm. you can try to recap what they said in your mind. It takes one beat, or you can say it out loud. And that adds again to this active process of really trying to listen to them. But you're absolutely right. Your goal is only. To not start formulating your thoughts and not listen yeah, to them. Right. That's your goal. And it's a lot easier in life when we set one mission than when we look at everything as all the, because if you think about it, human behavior is hundreds of little behaviors strung together. And that's overwhelming. So don't worry mm-hmm. about that. Worry about the one thing that you're going to work on at, in these group situations.
0: You have one job one job so, you That's know what it, it. I do too. nikki it reminds me of that you know when we started talking about feel felt found right i mean i i look at these as sort of this the social skill set if if you you know you you have some sort of uh model to follow in social situations like you know when you're listening to a conversation you you are trying not to put so much weight on what's going on in the back of your head you're trying to listen to the end of the sentence to the punctuation uh to the to the rhythm uh and then to have a model to follow and for me you know uh, just the the template sentence i know how that feels i felt that way too and that gives you some runway to start to to have a, a kind of a conversation right, right? that's right, not right. just you bulldozing over everybody else
2: right exactly Exactly. So you got it. Yeah. You're ready ready for all the holiday parties. <laughs> I was going to say, you are <laughs> so, ready to be guys. the host of the holiday party. I'm not party. kidding. <laughs> it, it's,
0: it comes with such pain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I know. I know. One of the stories I always tell is that uh, when I'm bored, which I'm never bored at the International Conference on ADD, but in the real world, I am sometimes bored at these holiday parties. And, you know, boredom for us leads to not always our best foot forward. And I have one of those faces that shows everything I'm thinking. It's called an open face. (laughs) And I never mean to be impolite. But often my husband will come up to me at a party and say, you have a terrible look on your face. (laughs) You need to change it. And see, now that's something I've been working on for a really long time. And my teenagers I work with struggle with it. I have young people who are in their 20s struggling with it. I have a little tiny kids who argue with me about the fact that it's okay to show on someone you don't like them.
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's like universal. We're all together with the same <laughs> yeah. thing. I have a question for you. So ADDers are also known to be very emotional, right? So if they are with someone that maybe they don't like, like the little ones Think it's fine to let them know that you don't like them, but uh, but as adults, that's difficult, right? If you are at a holiday party or you're at a a work meeting and you don't like your boss and you don't like what he's saying, so how do you? What would be your tips around pausing in that situation? Because you know your adrenaline is already going up. You can tell that you're already starting to get either frustrated or angry. Well, right. What would you start, you say? You start
0: losing. Well, I control. think the first thing yeah, Yuki,
2: that yeah. you're describing is that. Um, I call it a polite pretend. Um, And I call it that for all age groups, which is, you know, what my Nana used to say, like, no matter who you're with, you're expected to be polite and put your best foot forward, even if you don't like them. And you can think whatever you want once they're not in front of you, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, you know, emotional regulation, and people don't really know this is really about the fact that within your body, you have different levels. And this is like kind of a horrible word, but I'll use the word activation. The real clinical term is arousal. But you basically have levels where your activation goes up or down, right? So for the inattentive types, they might be too sleepy, too dreamy, not on enough. And one of the things that you're recognizing that is literally the first step toward getting better control of this is, when you start to have higher levels of activation, right, or someone triggers you, which means you have this big emotional reaction to them, which many of us with ADD have had bosses who just by something they say, really floods us with this emotion. And that it's like an ancient system back in the day, when there were saber toothed tigers, I always show kids a picture of a saber toothed tiger. We used to need this emotional reaction system so we knew if we wanted to run <laughs> or freeze or defend ourselves. And now it doesn't necessarily serve us as well. So I think the first thing is to do a polite pretend to get through that meeting, to pause and become more mindful. And I know this is so hard for people with ADD about what do you feel in your body when those levels of activation, when your inner elevator starts to go up? Because I know for me, um, I have a physical reaction. And everyone does. I mean, it's physiological. But one of the big turning points for my clients is when they start to recognize that they feel something in their stomach, or they feel something in their cheeks. That could be literally, again, back to the missions, your entire goal for that meeting with your boss is to like keep a semi polite look on your face, right? And to recognize when I feel these emotions with him, What is it that happens in my body? Because when you recognize that emotional reaction, you can start to tame it. But only if you recognize it before you get to the
1: point where you're like losing yes, control. Yes, yes. I love that. So, I mean, a couple of connections that I'm seeing here is that, you know, in the party, your intention is to listen to the full sentence. In the meeting, your intention is to have that polite face. So you don't say anything you may regret. It, it's really identifying what situations might be a trigger for you and figuring out what you want that one thing to be to practice that day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I have in my book that's coming out in 2019 is I have this thing called the Bridge to Betterment. And it's to explain to parents that people do not change behavior overnight. Behavior Mm -hmm. changes very slowly. Um, If a kid never listened, and they suddenly say to me, I don't listen. That's the beginning of change they're not actually adapting their behavior to listen, right? But they are recognizing that they don't listen. And much of what I try to do with people is to break things down into little pieces, just like we do with academics or with organizing or anything. Because to say, I'm going to go to this party where I've never listened to anyone, where my emotions have gotten out of control in the past, and I'm going to be a totally different person is just such heavy expectation. And the analogy I use with families is if I said to you, I'm going to run a marathon, you would not expect me to run a marathon tomorrow. You would understand I'm going to train. I'm going to have all these little pieces that end in, I mean, not me personally, but someone running a marathon. So I think, (laughs) I mean, that's the thing to set one intention and to realize that these are many little moments strung together. And if you can start to string them together,
1: Now you're headed toward change. I love that because it also reminds our listeners that just because you have the strategy and you tried it once doesn't mean it didn't work. You know, you got to keep practicing.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, a lot of my clients will tell me that um, they have a very black and white thinking like, I Mm -hmm. failed, it didn't work out. And my thing is, you tried once, right? Mm -hmm. right? And by the way... We all have off days. Uh, I had a mother ask me the other day, she said, if my child is sick, do I still have a play date for them? And do I still hold them expectation wise for these behaviors that we're trying to change? And I was like, no, no one can do anything when they're sick. When you're sick, you're sick. So I think that's the thing. We hold ourselves to such high standards. Why? Right? It's too much.
1: Yeah. Well, what, why is that? I, yes. I mean, really, I mean, what is, it, it just seems, um, so self sabotaging, you know, to, to try to, to pretend like all of that can change. Not only just, you know, with your communication or social skills, but anything that you might be working on, time management, organizing, I- anything, as health, you know, losing weight. You can't do it in just a day, you know, um, but it is it's so true to kind of highlight that that it it the expectations are so high going in.
2: Yeah, I think part of it is that when we're little kids and when we're growing up with ADD, um people say things to us. Um I heard one comment this morning where someone said to um a client of mine that um they should just, you know, basically do it. Like just do it. And I think because mm-hmm. we hear that and then we can't, um we're just full of all this, you know, self-criticism, especially if you're an adult. I mean, I met a woman at the conference who was 65 years old and got diagnosed. My thing is, oh my goodness, I'm so proud of you for seeking that journey. And you have another hopefully 20 years left to change things. So I think part of it is that um, people in society do not understand. And, you know, I, I have a lot of stories from holidays where Families will say to me, you know, my kid cannot sit at the Thanksgiving table for an hour and a half, and then the relatives say stuff, right? And you take that in. So I think that's why we're so full of that. But I really have to say, I also work with, you know, neurotypical people who are just shy. Um, I've worked with kids who moved. I've worked with people who are not Mm -hmm. ADD, and their behavioral change is just as it's slow. You know, they're not if you're shy, you're not walking into a group Mm -hmm. situation that Pete described and suddenly becoming, you know, a social butterfly. It's going to take time. And and that's
1: something we have to give ourselves. You bet. Well, and I think that for some people like myself, I can only handle so much anyway. Like I, you know, you can't, you can't. <laughs> yeah, there's throw. a ceiling
0: to stimulation yes. in social situations. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: So I mean, you know, yeah. three parties in a weekend is never going to work for me. Like I, that's just not oh going to happen. No. So I, yeah, I mean, I think it's also going going to a place that maybe is uncomfortable that you want to go to because you know, once you're once, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself. Once I'm in the social situation, I'm having fun. It's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> that is sometimes hard. Well, and and Nikki,
2: I think also, you know, no change happens in our comfort zone, right? right. We all have a comfort zone. Change doesn't happen in the comfort zone. But, but I also think, especially with the adult population, we have to give ourselves permission. So the three parties you mentioned, I have friends who would say, why can't you do three parties? Well, guess what? I can't. I can't mm-hmm. do three parties in a weekend. That's so much polite pretend. That's so much mm-hmm. more than I can give you. And I think that's the other thing. We have to give ourselves permission to say, it's great that someone else can do that. I can't. Mm -hmm. Or I don't want to. Because that's all the energy that it would take for you to do that. All the things you could be doing with that energy. And I mean, mental and physical and emotional energy, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, that's something that takes me back. I think it was something James Ochoa said on the show uh, a a while back, that that thinking, just the act of thinking and being present is a high-calorie event. It is! Right, It's actually burning (laughs) calories to do that. Like There is a reason that we are exhausted after these social situations because it takes an enormous resource from us, a physical, real resource from us to be present and to be active and just to be listening for the period at the end of the sentence. That's hard work and Mm -hmm. we don't give ourselves enough credit for that activity. That's why three parties don't work because you don't have it left at the end of the week. End, uh, you don't have the juice left to actually participate at, at, at your aspiration.
2: Right. And you know, actually, uh, uh, a nutritionist told me also that not only is it a high calorie event, but after, like, for instance, I gave three speeches at the international conference and I said to this nutritionist, why did I want carbs? And she said, because carbs help replenish and create the serotonin. And, and so mm-hmm. the other thing I want to say is, you know, if I were talking to an ADD adult and I said how I told my little client they didn't have to have play dates when they were sick, and they certainly didn't have to meet certain behavioral change expectations. We would all say, of course not. But for an adult, we might not, we might hold ourselves to a different standard. Why? Why? Why if it is a high calorie event, if it takes a lot for you to produce the behaviors that incorporate what you want to put your best foot forward? Why is it not okay to say one party that I do really well where I'm really pleased and have fun? And I'm talking about parties that are more a duty. I'm not talking about hanging out with your friends. You know, every every time my daughter is a swim meet, we have a group of friends, we all hang out, we get pizzas and, and and we get salads. And it is not hard. It's not me putting my best foot forward. But I'm talking about, you know, three parties with my, you know, my husband's company or something where I'm self-regulating like a champ. You know, or not self-regulating yeah, like a
0: champ. Right. Yeah. Well, and where that self-regulation <laughs> really counts, like the people that you're hanging out with and that you just love to be with. They're people who understand those little things and you can kind of you don't have to bring your A game, but the the high-calorie ones are those are, are those sort of obligatory social situations where that stuff matters.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And 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 I'm not saying to opt out of those, because that's also a very common thing. When people struggle to read the room, they often just opt out. I'm I'm not suggesting opt out of everything. I'm
1: suggesting know
2: what you need.
1: That's good. So there is something else that you mentioned in the session that I saw you in at the conference. Um, you were talking about asking for clarity, and this really struck a chord for me because I can't tell you. I mean, just with my current light, my current client list, I probably have at least three people who've just recently told me that they did not ask for clarity because they didn't want to look stupid, they didn't want to be embarrassed. They felt like they should have already gotten the information, so they were just going to kind of figure it out themselves, which of course caused a lot of stress and anxiety. And uh, and this was all work related, but and it came from a boss or from a coworker. So, what do you say about that how How can we get our clients and our listeners to be okay and comfortable with asking for clarity? Uh, you know, I absolutely am
2: so glad you brought this up, Nikki. Um. One of the things that happens for us is because we're we have had mess ups before, maybe we're you know struggling at work, or we have this "I should be able to" mentality. Is we don't say Mm -hmm. to someone when they make an obtuse comment. And the the example I gave in the presentation was that um, I got all comments from clients, I collected them, and and from friends of things bosses had said that you go what, what do you mean? And one of them was uh, in a performance conversation, they said to my client, I need to see more from you. And my example was, uh, what is more? What are you talking about? What does that look like? What do you mean? And so my thing to people is that, um, you know, if you were talking about neurotypical people, the average person in a workplace, they would also struggle with that comment and they would ask for clarity and that it is better to ask for clarity and say i'm not quite sure what you mean or what does that look like what behaviors are you looking for any questions that come into your mind versus to pretend you know and this is what my clients tend to do they pretend they they know they muddle through and then they never really have a chance for better performance because they have no idea what better performance looks like. And my thing, and this is me being a little cheeky and naughty, is shame on that manager, mm-hmm. right? Because I used to be in human resources. I used yeah, to teach right. people. My husband's a management consultant for private equity firms, and he teaches people how to do all this stuff. That is not good feedback. And just because you're not having great performance at work right. doesn't mean that you don't deserve great feedback. So, um. I think that by asking even questions like, you know, about what the person's expectation is for the end, what like, when you when I do a project, what is it? What does the end look like? What is it that is the 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 sort of, you know, ideal for you? I think that that is so important. And we don't do it because of shame.
1: Yeah. So how do you how do you get around that? Because the shame is something that they've lived with their whole life.
2: You know, one of the ways I get around it is actually how I got the calibration of it, which is that I suggest many times that my clients ask someone they know who's safe, not, you know, at the workplace, maybe if they have someone who's safe at the workplace, great, but would they ask for clarity in that situation? And nine times out of 10, I actually asked a dinner party full of people before I gave that presentation Would you ask for clarity? And every one of them said, of course, that's, that's not even, who knows what that person means. And so I think to, to first, if you're really unsure, check in with a friend of yours and say, you know, would you ask for clarity? And that will validate you Mm -hmm. because they're going to say yes. But two, try it. Do an experiment. Try asking for clarity on something that you're really like baffled by and see if the resulting information can lead to a better situation than when you don't ask for clarity. Um, And also, the shame is something that I think is really um, to be worked through and to be talked about, you know, with a therapist, with a coach, because it's not, it's not going to work out for you. You can't just wish it away.
1: No. Yeah, no, yeah. you can't. No, you can't. And you know what's interesting is that I think, you know, you talk about uh in the in the presentation that I saw, you you talked about um basically looking at the other person like where they're coming from. And it, when you were talking about that, it it kind of makes me think we feel bad for asking clarity, right? So we don't want to ask clarity about whatever it is that they're saying, but I know that whenever a client has asked me to clarify a question, it puts responsibility on me feeling like, "Oh, I didn't expl- I didn't ask that correctly. I need to I need to ask it in a better way," you know? So it's kind of like we assume that we're the ones that are wrong. But the other person that's getting that needs to clarify themselves will also probably take that responsibility that they didn't describe it correctly,
2: right? And 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 let's be fair. Even if you think your boss is the most horrible person on the planet, right? No one wants turnover. Really, I know people in, with ADD feel forced out. They feel like they're always under you know the scope. But in, in all reality, businesses do not want turnover, it costs them lots of money. So the fact is that if you ask your supervisor or even a friend for clarity on something, they're probably going to give it to you or realize that they can't and they need to come back to you, which is also okay.
1: Right,
0: right, right. You know, it gets to this uh, this thing that I think we f- we forget, particularly in the context of a discussion on social skills, that conversations involve a shared responsibility. Right, and we with ADHD mm-hmm. take too much ownership. That's where the Absolutely. shame comes from. That we didn't do our part. Therefore, yes. we're at fault, right? And we that's didn't what do I was part. trying to say yeah. is that
1: maybe the other person's at fault because they exactly. didn't describe it correctly. Exactly. Exactly. It's a we need shared to sh-
0: share the responsibility for the conversation. Mm-hmm. That makes it all, I, I mean, all of this stuff starts to feel better when you realize in a conversation, you are not alone.
2: No. And I think that's the thing. It, it, it really is supposed to be a reciprocal conversation. And when someone says something to you, their intention is not to baffle you, right? right. And right. their intention is not that you should have to interpret everything. And and I think because of the shame, we don't ask for clarity. So, yes, I cannot impress on people enough. Ask for clarity. Um, You know, other people do, right? And it's okay. And wouldn't you rather ask for clarity than actually never have a fighting chance to do what you
1: could be really good at mm-hmm, absolutely well right because you are sort of missing that chance if if you're yeah. not getting the information that you need or assuming something that's not right that can get you in trouble too yes yeah absolutely well I know we're getting close to the end of our time um, and I do want you to talk about your new book that is coming out because that's very exciting um, but what else like what 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 else can we leave our listeners with today about social skills. You know, everything that you've talked about because your presentations I know are like an hour hour each long so I mean there's a lot of information here to cover but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I
2: mean it's it's hard. I I I look forward to the day when I'm going to be doing you know eight nine part webinars on one of these topics and parents and adults or whoever can gain so much information. That day is is coming in in 2019. But um, I think I think the biggest thing I would say is one of the big pieces of feedback that CEOs gave about people who struggle with social skills was not that we they expect performance to be perfect, but that they wanted to see and this was in a dissertation I read where they had done a survey of all CEOs, they wanted to see people try to scan a situation and try to adapt to whatever was the expectation of that situation. And I think that. It's really a skill you can practice. You can play a game with yourself. You know, we get bored very easily. So I play a lot of games with myself when I go to events so that I am less likely to have the, the naughty face. <laughs> it's not good. And um, you can <laughs> play a game with yourself where you're just entering every situation, pausing and scanning. The adapting piece can even come later. That is something anyone can do. And it really allows you to pay attention to a lot of these little nuanced things that catch us up. You know, when you go to a holiday party, who's, who's, who's who? Look around, scan. That's the biggest thing because these CEOs didn't say, I expect every employee in my company to be perfect right? What they said was, I want them to scan. And that's been my experience when I work with people of all ages. Um, I have a client now, I won't say where, but in a, a major university, and her boss is thrilled with her progress, not because she's become perfect, but because she is making an effort to scan and think about the situation and what's going on more that's, you know, a huge first step that anyone could start to do over the next month. Oh, you
1: bet. That's great.
0: It's fantastic. So yeah, let's talk about the book then. Let's, uh, what's, what's going on?
1: You've been working hard. Working
0: hard. (laughs) I
1: I have been
2: working hard as opposed to hardly working, as my father would say. (laughs) Um, No, so I um, had the idea for this book, While No Play With Me, about 13 years ago, and I've been... (laughs) working on it ever since. Um, I have a book deal with Hachette, who produced Twilight and Hamilton and some other great, famous books. And um, I the book comes out September twenty fourth, 2019. And it is basically a guide to help parents coach their child through any social situation. Um, if all goes well, which we hope it will, then the next book would be about teenagers and adults social skills. Um, Mm -hmm. but the first one is it's prescriptive. It's step-by-step. It's, um, literally teaching you how do you break down, for instance, this reading the room process and teach your child to do it. And, and, and the the age range is, is five to 12, but I have to tell you, I know people are going to buy it who are over the age of 12 and it could be really helpful for them too.
1: Oh, you bet. You bet. Well, we'll have to have you come back on the show when it gets closer to the to the launch date and talk more about it, because I have a feeling there's a lot of people who listen to the show who want that book.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to come back. That would be lots of fun. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much.
0: Totally. Thank you so much for taking the time today for for talking to us. We've got the link to your website in the show notes, uh, which is uh, if, if I'm right here, Caroline author dot com. Is that where yes. you want to send people? Yes, That's please. The one? All right. All right. Well, that's in the show notes. Just, just swipe over in your show notes in your podcast app. It's in the links section, right? That's that's links and notes. Uh, it's over on the website, too.
1: I was just going to say, and coaching, you coach uh, children, families, teenagers, adults, like who who's part of your practice? Everybody.
2: Everybody. So I, I call it family coaching um, because mm-hmm. I work with everyone from a 6-year-old to the parents. And when I work with smaller children or teenagers, I still work with the families to help them understand, to help them adapt their communication style. And I have many college students I work with and young adults where I just get them to get them to sign a waiver saying that I can communicate with their parents and coach their parents, you know. Yes, I understand mm-hmm. she was 2 hours late coming home the day before Thanksgiving, but She did really well in her exam and she got all her work done for the first time ever. So let's cut her some slack, you know, all of that kind of Mm -hmm. reframing and helping families understand. And then also my sort of life spread, which is I always teach parents how to coach their kid with the social skills because they're there on the front lines. Even if I see them, I see them once a week, right? So you as a parent have to know
1: how to do this. That's good, good, good. So all that information is on your website, right? So, yep, good.
0: Well, I can't wait till the next time that we get to talk to you, Caroline. Thank you so much for uh, jumping in and, and hanging out with us today. This has been fantastic. Uh, and and thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate your time and, as always, your attention. Uh, on behalf of Caroline McGuire and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you right here next time on Taking Control, the ADHD Podcast.